I'm Stephen. And I'm Kevin. In today's episode of The Stephen and Kevin Show, we're going to talk about the power of questions with a special guest. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to episode 69 of The Stephen and Kevin Show. And today we're going to be talking about the power of questions. And questions are so important because they drive the entire sales process. Yeah, we've got a special guest today, as Kevin referenced. Our guest today is Dave Patchen. He is the Senior Vice President of Education and Practice Management at Raymond James. Dave, thanks for being on the show. My pleasure. Good morning, gentlemen. So, gang, for any of you who don't know him, I'll give you a little bit of Dave's background. Dave's been an advisor. He's been a recruiter. And I think when we first uh, were introduced to him was when he was a regional manager for 10 years with Raymond James, and he used mm-hmm. to have Matt Oxley out to speak to his groups. Uh, was that right, Dave? That's when we first uh, came to know each other? Yes, and that's probably 10, 11 years ago now. Yeah. Time flies. And, and I just remember back then when Matt would go out and speak, we all knew Dave as a guy who was – uh, what you would call a thought leader, a learner, somebody who had a real passion for development of advisors. And it wasn't a huge shocker to all of us when he was elevated to his current position uh, to lead the education practice management group at Raymond James, which is where he sits now. And we, uh, we've done some work together. We know his group puts on some phenomenal training, so we're glad that he agreed to come on the show today. Today our topic is the power of great questions, a topic that Dave has a lot of passion for. So, Dave, we're curious from your standpoint, just to kick it off, maybe why are uh, questions so important? Well, uh, thanks, Stephen. Uh, They're so important because of what I call the three levels of knowledge. And the macro forces that are facing the investing public today are information overload, pace of change, technological complexity, geopolitical events. There's so much happening. Information is moving at warp speed. And because of this, there's three levels of knowledge. There's information that people know that they know, and that's stuff they feel confident about. The next level is people know what they don't know, and I call that awareness. But my contention is, our belief today is this third level of knowledge, the amount of information people don't know that they don't know, their level of unawareness is growing exponentially. Now, what's interesting and what's challenging in this is that because there's so much access to information, people are feeling more confident in some respects, and you couple that with the fact some of the research that you guys have done such a great job with is that most wealth that advisors are managing today is still first-generation wealth. And what accompanies a successful wealth creator, generally speaking, is a rather sizable ego. So because of that, we can't tell people uh, what to do. We can't tell them that they're clueless, that they don't know what they don't know. We have to ask questions. We have to get them to figure out that they have a problem. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. And you can see some application of that both with prospecting and uncovering some some gaps, but also with with current clients, leading them to make better decisions through asking good questions. 
Yeah, I love that you mentioned that. Um, one of the things that we're really working closely with advisors on now is this notion that the review process, it can be short and sweet. I mean, we I'm, I'm, I'm quoting an advisor now, a typical advisor, where an advisor will say, yeah, we bring them in, we show them the updated uh, printout from the financial planning software, shows that they're in the zone, shows that they're on track, and then we just start, start talking about their family and uh, other, other hobbies and interests that they have. And while that worked for a period of time, especially after the great uh, turn down in the market in 08 and 09, we're reaching a point now where on this extended bull run, advisors have to be very mindful that clients don't know what they don't know, number one, but also that the competition is trying to swoop in. And they're creating what we call insight into their best clients in order to try and win their business away from you, the current advisor. So this flow, I mentioned the word insight. We believe there's four steps in the process. And, and those four steps are insight, awareness, pain or discomfort, some people don't like the word pain, and then finally, change. And our belief is that it's the really great questions that create the insight and awareness. And if, if you do a good job plowing that ground, you're going to start to create some an, an unsettled client, hold that thought, and also, obviously, an unsettled prospect that's going to become a client. Now, the thought I want to hold, and I want you guys to jump in on the existing client, is we live today in a fee-oriented industry. We are charging an ongoing fee for, usually it's a combination of planning and asset management that we're charging this fee for. If they don't perceive a lot of value from the fee they're paying, they're a vulnerable, vulnerable client, right? And so right. what's, what's important there is that during these review meetings, we're constantly helping them know what they don't know. That's really, really important. We have to continue to create insight and awareness with our existing clients every bit as much as we need to create that type of insight awareness and even discomfort with prospects. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes a ton of sense. I think that's interesting. Sometimes we call this the um, like the wall of perception, right? There's all of these um, these things that you're doing for clients behind the scenes that they're not they're not necessarily aware of, and you have to make sure that they're aware of it. And what you're saying is make them aware of it by asking really good questions to see if they're already current aware currently aware of it or not. Yeah, I think that the service and the sales part uh, work together on this one. That if you're if you're doing a really good job of leading clients and you're asking all of these really good questions and probing into all the different areas of their financial life, there's a natural extension right into your prospecting that says, hey, look what we're doing for our clients. Is this different and better than what you're doing with your current advisor? Sure. Yes, exactly. And so one of the things I like to throw out to the advisors listening, and I'm sure that's the majority of our audience, uh, I like to start by asking you some questions. So here we go. Uh, advisor that's tuning in. Number one, do you believe that today's ideal target client has a sound decision process for making financial choices? Does today's investor have a sound process for making financial decisions? Questions, question number one. Question number two, does your ideal target client have clarity 
today around their personal financial picture? Yes or no? Now, what I think you're going to say to both of those questions is no. Hopefully you're saying absolutely not because therein lies their gap and your offering that you're going to close that gap. But my next question, though, is if they don't have a sound decision process and clarity around their financial picture, do they want and need it? And, of course, what's the answer there, Stephen and Kevin? They do. Well, right? they, definitely, they definitely need it, and they definitely should want it, right? <laughs> but, but what's the gap that I pointed out earlier? Do they know enough to answer those questions? That, that's where – that's mm -hmm. the fascinating paradox that I want everybody to grasp uh, listening in to the podcast today. Be, my belief is this is, this is the, the fatal error of the slick-talking financial advisor – the advisor that loves to talk about their offering, loves to talk about product, loves to talk about planning, loves to talk about asset management. And my contention is that the average investor has no idea what the advisor is talking about. Yeah, you know, I, th I think you're right. And you know what's interesting? To your point about a process for making sound investment decisions, like do does the, the average affluent investor have that? We actually did some research on this recently. And we found that their whole due diligence process is actually very, very, very limited um, and in terms of when they go about selecting an advisor. We actually found that the average number of, of advisors they interview when they're, when they're going through this process is zero. Like that's, that's like the average. And well, they know an advisor or they're recommended to yeah, an advisor, yeah. and that's the they one just they pick end up selecting. They just pick one. Yeah. yeah. I thought you were going to say one point something. Uh, here, here's another way of looking at it. Uh, I, I can't remember. I might have even heard Matt say this years ago, but one of the industry uh, coaches or consultants said something along the lines of, how many times does the average investor go through a sound and thorough planning discovery process in their lives? How many times do you think the average investor goes through a really sound process with an advisor? Yeah, not, not many at all. Yeah, it's going to be closer to zero than it is even even one because if, yeah. if, if that would if one would one would one or more would imply everybody's done it at least once, and we just said we know that isn't the case. So that's what I want advisors to grasp from that is this whole notion of don't know what they don't know. That coupled with I know I'm being redundant, but I want to drive these points home. You can't tell them they don't know what they don't know. Okay, <laughs> we have to get them to buy into the fact that they need the help, they value our advice. See, that's why I love the word insight. I used to lead with the word pain. Insight is more powerful to me now because in order to continue a conversation with a prospect, it's going to happen absolutely naturally if you're creating insight with your questions. Okay, And, and, and I really believe that's going to create a whole lot more insight than the, the the verbal vomit that you do that they don't really understand. Okay. Yeah, and think of the difference between statements and questions in, in just this example. So if you were talking to it, let's say Kevin's your prospect and, and you're talking to Kevin and, and you say something like, well, obviously college planning is really important for somebody in your shoes. You've got two young children. What's Kevin going to say? Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Sure is. Whereas if I'm saying, Kevin, what are you doing now to help plan for your, your kid's college? The price is going up by the year. Mm -hmm. it, it puts Kevin on the spot a little bit in a way that reveals some of what he doesn't know. 
Yeah, and, and I'll tell you, so we're, let, let's talk a little bit. Uh, you two gentlemen and your firm really support us in our new advisor training program, a program we call the Advisor Mastery Program. And that's a great segue to talk about the the, the tactics we teach and the, and the way to ask the best questions. So let's take the whole notion of planning for your children's future because of this this changing, evolving society that we all live in today, and I can give you personal anecdotes on this with my kids, um, I, wouldn't, I would be a little taken back if somebody said, what are the college plans for the kids? Because that assumes my kids want to go to college. And so you start off by saying, tell us about your children. Tell us what they're passionate about. What are they into? What do they love? What do they enjoy? What do they think about? where they're going to be in three, five, and ten years, and let them, let your prospect and your client then paint that canvas. And then here's the key to what we teach around this mindset. The mindset is, the two words we tee up the mindset for asking these great questions is explore and discover. Explore and discover. No preconceived notions. And what we're doing is teaching advisors to listen for what we call fuzzy words. And fuzzy words are words that can have multiple meanings. And this is how you become a great active listener. Oh, I like you that. Are, I like yeah, that, yeah it, it forces you to dig, dig deeper when you hear a word that could mean different things to different people. I can see that playing well when you're talking to a, a couple where one person's viewpoints may not align with the others. The fuzzy words are probably abundant in that case. Can you give us an example of a fuzzy word? Yeah, so here's what's fun, and you guys, since you're students of the trade, will love this. I mean, you know, I call all of us that are that are deep in this space kind of we're practice management geeks, and I say that lovingly and fondly, by the sure. way. But one we start off with, with for advisors is risk. And remember, risk means different things to different people. But here's what's fun. Almost every word, guys, is a fuzzy word. Okay? <laughs> Happy is a fuzzy word. Sad is a fuzzy word. Market is a fuzzy word. Stock is a fuzzy word. Every word, almost every word, other than conjunctions are, and verbs, are fuzzy words. So it, it forces you. Here's, here's the real takeaway from, for those that want to practice this stuff. It, number one, it forces you to listen. But here's where you get really good at this. Most advisors suffer from, and this is actually a medically uh, diagnosed condition, and there is uh, there's there's drugs available for it, and it's called premature presentations. That was humor, guys. Um, and so, what happens here is the first buying signal, and this is stuff that I've heard Matt teach for years. The first buying signal, the advisor pounces, and what we want the advisor to do is to ask another question, active listen, pick out a couple fuzzy words, ask another, ask another. What's going to happen? We're going to create more insight, more awareness. We're going to have multiple pain points. Instead of moving in and pouncing on the first pain point and trying to do some type of trial close, let's collect pain points. Let's create a whole basket full of pain points and insights. And then at the end, when we summarize, the likelihood that the person wants to continue the conversation goes up exponentially. Yeah, I like that. And I think one other thing you're demonstrating when you've got a basket of these things is that 
you've got the ability, even though this seems like it should be really simple, but you had the ability to pay attention during that conversation and key in on certain things that they explicitly said were issues or, or things that were a little fuzzy to them, and then to summarize it at the end, which sounds, again, like it would be really simple, but a lot of people aren't able to do it. Yeah, I was going to say this to me sounds like something that, and you, you tell me what you what you think here, Dave. That that's going to take a lot of practice, right? It's not something that you can just listen to a podcast and say, "Yes, I'm I'm good at that now." And asking questions. You're exactly right, Kevin. And here's how we try to close that gap. My recommendation is there is a bottomless pit of free opportunity to practice this, and how you do that is you identify a news journalist slash interview type show, journalists, if you listen to them do interviews, and I'm talking any of the major networks, I'm not going to get political about whether you like CNBC or Fox or CNN or ABC, doesn't matter. Pick one where you like a George Stephanopoulos or a Chris, Chris Cuomo or a, a Tucker Carlson. See, I hit all, the, I hit all of them there. <laughs> Nicely done. You just pick somebody and watch them do this. They're the ones that ask the probing questions, and they dig in. The best of them dig in on fuzzy words, and then they do another technique that we teach called framing and buffering. And framing and buffering is how you ask, how you uh, use language in between your what and how questions. Because what you'll learn when you really d dive deep on this and find a couple of journalists that you like and that you follow, almost all the questions they ask are what and how questions because those, of course, are open-ended questions that they, they require the, uh, the, the person being asked the question to elaborate. And that's what creates good, good fodder for the conversation. But they're going to frame and buffer in between. So, and I want you guys to jump in here, but one example that we use in the, in the training program is um, a guy named Tom Rinaldi, to use a sports example. Tom Rinaldi mm -hmm. does the sports interviews, and he just did one um, you know, post-Wimbledon when Serena Williams walked off the court after losing in the finals, and he just does such a great job of frame, buffer, what, how. Frame, buffer, what, how. So find somebody like that and start to follow them. Or just go on to YouTube and just Google. Oprah was another. Oprah was is one of the greatest. Isn't this awesome? We're on a financial advisor podcast. We're talking about Oprah. Um, <laughs> But listen to her. The reason Oprah did so well, so much advisors can learn from Oprah. Oprah was a macro human connector. And how she accomplished that was asking incredible questions, being an active listener, listening for fuzzy words, and drilling deeper and deeper in those conversations. So is the framing aspect of it kind of like you know, prefacing, like in terms of like why you're asking a question? Is that, is that what you mean by framing? Kevin, you just uh, mentioned the word prefacing. Give me a little bit more color on what you mean by prefacing. See, that would yeah, have been so if an I'm example. Asking a question that's you know really deep into a prospect's financial situation. I might say like, yeah, in order for me to find you the best solution for this, I you know I need to ask you this. Like almost like telling them why I'm asking a question, especially if it's maybe um, a question that is a little touchy. Does that make sense? Yes. Yes, that, that could be an example. Uh, I like to use what I call uh, spectrum questions. Uh, Rinaldi uses spectrum questions a lot when he, when he interviews athletes. So one of the great spectrum questions, spectrum is just what it sounds like. It's a start-to-finish question. It's creating a time frame. 
So a question he asked Serena recently was, Serena, you came here 16 years ago as an 18-year-old kid. Today, you're a 33-year-old, 34-year-old, seven-time champion. Tell us what's different today from when you came here 16 years ago. That's a spectrum. We've just created a spectrum. And what happens, if you watch somebody when you ask them these questions and you look at their eyes, and you can see their eyes moving to different areas of the socket where they're, they're doing brain recall. And you've just given them now an a, a opportunity to tell a story over that period of time. That's a great example of a framing question. That's, that's great. Really powerful stuff. We were talking a little bit earlier after a conversation with Matt Oxley about why it's helpful sometimes to ask questions that people actually want to give an answer to. Mm-hmm. So whether it's focusing in on their children or their their history in the sport of tennis, um, things that they're excited to talk about are going to elicit a little bit more passion out of them and a little bit more explanation mm-hmm. than if you look at the flip side of that. Let's say it's been mm-hmm. a really long week at work and you catch me on Friday night at a cocktail party and you're asking me a lot of probing questions about things at work. It's probably not what I want to get into at that point in time. So you're right. keeping in mind the context of the situation, too. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, exactly. So let me give you one that, you, that, that the advisors listening to the, to the call can apply. Uh, it's one we teach here, but I'm, I'm willing to share it. Um, so you're talking with somebody, and, and this, isn't, this isn't coffee talk, folks. This is more when you're uh, starting to do discovery work with a really high-end target client. You know they've been working with an advisor. You're in the, in the flow of the conversation. A great spectrum question would be, you know, Kevin and Stephen, you mentioned that you've been working with an advisor the last 11 years. Can you give me some color on take yourself back to when you met them, how did you meet them, were you introduced, were you referred, talk about their initial discovery process, the financial plan that they laid out for you, how they built the original portfolio, how they've updated it, how the review process has gone over the last several years. Kind of take me across that timeline of how that process has played out to get you to where you are today. Now, Mm -hmm. how powerful is that, number one? Okay, And then number two, if you notice what I was doing, that was a combination of a, of a spectrum question with assumptive questions built in. Did you notice I was assuming my best practices mm-hmm. into that question, okay, right, of, yes. a financial, of a financial plan, of regular reviews? You, did, you, did, you, did you feel that happening as I worded out the question? Well, I think you did it so smoothly. I didn't, I didn't even notice. But, well, but, I, but I think it's, you're exactly right. I mean you're, you're saying like – you're basically planting some seeds right then and there that these are things that they should have been doing for you. Exactly. Exactly. That goes back to those questions I asked you earlier. Does today's investor have a sound process for making financial decisions? Do they have clarity around their financial picture? And, you know, you guys do a good job of, of, of teeing this up from your research. The people, the successful ideal clients value their time. They're not going to be diving deeper with you if there isn't something just a little bit not right about their current engagement, current relationship with their advisor. So this is where you have to assume there might be a little bit of a, of a, of a kink in the foundation, and that's going to be your opportunity to throw some of those questions out there to get them to say, you know, 
you mentioned all those things, Dave. Um, we actually did this on a call years ago, guys, uh, to the field. And one of the one of the advisors hung up the phone and tried one of these questions. And it was a a client from a big firm. I'm not going to mention the name because I know you guys work with everybody. And um, the it was a doctor. And after the advisor finished asking the question, the uh, the doctor client said, "Regular review meetings. I haven't seen this son of a in two years." <laughs> So that that's how powerful it can work. Now, as you guys know and teach, you've got to live up to these best practices that you're espousing in these questions, by the way. You better not be talking about financial plans and regular reviews if that's not something that, that, that is you know, the core of your offering. But everybody gets the idea. You insert your best practices into these types of questions and listen to their response, listen to fuzzy words, and you're going to be having some really, uh, really uh, in-depth conversations. And then the other thing I like to, to, to finish up with is to say that uh, instead of some of the old school closes that, that we learned decades ago, at the end of these discovery meetings, just ask a question. Don't, don't make your suggestion, but say, what else, what else, what else? And then when, we, when we're done with all the what else's and we feel like we've plowed a lot of ground, say, where do you want to go from here? How hmm. would you like us to work with you? How would you like us to help you? What do you think some next steps are? And generally, right. they're going to bounce it back to you, right? They're going to say, you tell us. But I just think that where we are today as a sales culture in America, I think it's just more comfortable to continue to leave the buyer in the power, uh, you know, spot. Yeah, it used to be all about close, overcome, yes. assumptive. Yeah, uh, where we're, we're I, you know, we're in full agreement. It's it's reversing some of that now, and and doing more of a a check in process. We've talked a lot about as you're going through a meeting where typically you'd call this the close. You'd be more checking in to say, you know, how do you feel about what we've talked about thus far? It mm -hmm. Seems like we've covered A, B, and C. Yeah, exactly. I, one of our favorite lines is exactly what Stephen said, which is, hey, tell me how you're feeling about everything we've discussed today. And if they say, hey, I feel exactly. good, then you could say, hey, well, what do you feel like the next step should be? Right. Yeah, and, and based on that next step, what is some of the stuff that you consider uh, higher priority? What, what are, mm -hmm. Of the things we've covered today, what are the things you want us to start to, to, to provide you some uh, information and, and follow up on first? Get them to now. The fact of the matter is, going back to they don't know what they don't know. If they're if they're making suggestions that, in your professional opinion, isn't the next best step, don't tell them that. Ask them a question. This is the most powerful thing, folks. And, and, and I think it was Kevin that said earlier, you need to practice this. You're absolutely right. Practice it at home. Practice it with your partner, your spouse, your kids. Practice mm -hmm. it at the office. It needs a ton of practice. But here's if if I'm to to, to plant the seed. A, a good way to, to uh, start to wrap up here is anytime you're about to make a statement, try and turn that statement into a question. Hmm. That's good. I'll that's tell you where advice. I get the most practice. I, I definitely get the most practice on my kids because they don't want to talk about anything that happened at school, right? So they're just like they're, – they're like a prospect that's really tight-lipped about everything. <laughs> so you get a prospect in your office and you're like, so tell me, how, what was the relationship like with your former advisor? Fine. Right. You know, and you're like, okay, well, let me rephrase that. You know, and, and it's the same way with kids. It's, it's a, great, a great place to practice. No, yeah, that's, that's it cool. is. 
fine. I don't really want to talk about it. Well, uh, we're going to want to dig a little bit deeper than that. Hey, Dave, well, before, fi- we, um, before, fines before we fines and fines, I want to ask you one question about questions because I, I – you know, you, you do make it sound easy, right? Because you've done it for a long time. You have a ton of ex- experience. Um, how important is the delivery? Like, I mean, you were just kind of doing it naturally, but thinking about like the pacing and the rhythm, how, how important is that? You know, rather, because you, know, you can just ask any question, right? But how you approach it to me seems so important. It, it, you, you nailed it. And you guys know, because you're students of the business, uh, it, it's everything. Uh, mm-hmm. Here's what's funny. My team teaches this now alongside of me, and you know the highest level of learning is to teach, and yet they march into my office all the time with an issue, a challenge, a demand, and what what am I doing to them as soon as they walk in? I'm actively listening. I'm asking questions on fuzzy words. I'm digging deeper. I'm not making statements. I turn my statements into questions, and it's fun. Because we have such a good professional uh, relationship one-on-one and our team as a whole, they actually enjoy the exercise. Now, sometimes they do feel like it's a bit of an exercise in futility, but, you know, that's your job <laughs> when you're the boss. You know, I bet Matt, Matt's never done any of this to you guys, right? I mean, no, they just you pick it out and you're like, I think he's using uh, reverse psychology on he, me. Or he the- just redirected my conversation. <laughs> Well, and he's got that extra advantage of being – he's a psychologist by, by education, right? Right. Yeah. He, you know, yeah, he's got a he's got a way about him. But uh, yeah, next next episode we're interviewing some of Dave's Dave's team. So stay tuned, guys. <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah. Well, that, I guess that's true. That, so we call this program uh, Zen Advisor, by the way, and and hopefully that makes sense after by throwing that that in at the end after sitting through the last thirty or so minutes of this, uh, the listener gets a feel for why we call it that because uh, we feel like it it has a completely different. A, a mindfulness approach to the sales process that is a core component of a Zen mindset. Well, exactly right. You're teaching some skills more so than you know a robotic list of activities. There's more uh, more of an art form behind it. The soft skills. Yeah. yeah. Well, Dave. Yeah. Again, thank you for right joining us today. Great stuff there. We uh, got some good stuff to think about, Kevin. Yeah, we do. Hey, and we we want to ask you one one final question here. Um, you know, when we come down to the advisor um, mastery program, uh, we always get asked, you know, what, what's our, our first concert? Just to oh, kinda, yeah. We, when, we, when we open up a presentation, they always ask us, and they always say, Stephen's first concert was Dave Matthews Band, and Kevin's was Green Day, which is way cooler. Um, <laughs> and, Dave, we wanted to ask you today, what was your first concert? I love it, and I actually have a pretty good one. And you guys have two cool ones too. Dave Matthews and Green Day are two of my favorites. But I got one a little older uh, genre, but still one of the greatest of all time. So let me tell you the story behind it. Uh, It's Bruce Springsteen, and it was uh, 1979. It was the River Tour, and I really wasn't a big fan didn't know his music that well. A buddy approaches me four or five o'clock on given afternoon and says, I got tickets to Springsteen tonight. I grew up in Pittsburgh, so it was in the old Civic Arena. And I said, what the heck, I'll go. Well, as I, as I tell everybody, I walked in there, a casual listener. I walked out of there, a passionate, ardent fan for life. I've seen him, you know, 12 or 13 times since that night. And cool. it's one of those nights that when you're especially 16 years old, it kind of changes your life. And so, yeah. um, you know, that's what music's designed to do. And that's what 
good information like this is supposed to do too. So let's hope the the advisors listening uh, have some type of life-changing experience based on what we talked about today, and maybe they'll put some of these techniques to work and uh, be able to share some results with you guys down the road. Yeah, well, we, we would love it. Uh, well, thanks again. Hope you have a great week. Thanks, gentlemen. Enjoyed it. 